Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. Today, I want to dive into the word and I just want to finish up this series called, Who Is He to You? It's a series on lordship and we've been talking about this for several weeks and if you've missed any of the messages, they're all online. But it's about lordship. Who is God to you? Who is Jesus Christ to you? And to some people in here, it may be, he's nobody to me. Like he's a historical figure. Well, the very first place you start if Jesus is a historical figure is to come into relationship and you're broken. You and I are broken. We are broken people. There is not one person in this room that is not broken. And so we come to him and our brokenness is what separates us from him. And so Jesus Christ, uh, in that song that we sang, you know, is he worthy, is he worthy? To break the seal and open the scroll. Like there's no person worthy, not on the planet, not whoever lived or whoever will live that is able to bring you and me back into right relationship with the Father. That's only Jesus, only Jesus. And so the very first step towards lordship is that step called salvation. So he becomes our savior We accept him as our savior. We accept him as the one who brings us back into relationship with the father. And then once he becomes our savior and we begin this relationship, now we have to begin making him Lord of our life. And so we've been talking over these past few weeks about how to let him be Lord of our life in all of these different areas with your finances, with your kids, with, you know, all these different areas. Today, I want to talk to you about how He can be Lord of your home. Like, is Jesus Lord of your house? Before you say absolutely, before you say yes, I just want to ask you, is he Lord of your house? And now some of you guys are young people in here, so it's really your parents' house. Yes, you live there. Yes, it's your house while you live there, but it's really their house. They're the ones who make the rules. But one day you will have a house. And I'm not talking about just a building that you'll live in. I'm talking about family. That's really what the house is. You'll have your own life that you will have. And so right now you come to church. Right now people bring you to church. Right now it's time, you know, get out of bed. It's time to go to church today. You know, right now that's happening to you. But one day that's not going to happen. One day the parent is not going to be there to tell you to wake up. It's time to go to church. Or, hey, you should ask God. Or, hey, have you prayed about this? There are going to be a a day when they're not there. They will be there for you. But they're not going to be there day in and day out when you wake up. Because you're going to have your own house. Will he be Lord of your house when you establish your place of, of residence? Whatever that looks like and wherever that is. Right now... There's an epidemic in 
in the U.S. It's around the world, but it's in the U.S. And there are 18.5 million children without a father in a home in the United States. 18.5 million children that do not have a daddy in their home. And this, is, this has garnered us the worst leader, the world leader in fatherlessness. The United States is the world leader in fatherlessness. Today, as we celebrate fathers, I want to just start, you know, on, on this note. And I, I know, man, there are times that people don't want to hear these uh, like, oh, God, do we have to look at the negative? Yes, you have to look at the negative. If you're one of these people, like, can we just put a positive spin on it? No, not on everything. Not on everything. Jesus didn't, uh, God didn't say in the 10 uh, mosaic laws that he gave us, the 10 commandments, he didn't, he didn't say, um, uh, try not to take the life of everyone or preserve the life of everyone. That's in a positive way. He said, don't kill. Do not do that. He didn't say, try to keep your eyes on your own wife to preserve your marriage and keep it holy. He said, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Don't do that. There are some times that we, when I, when I started this message, I'm like, sometimes people just don't understand me as the prophet. The prophets are to bring alignment the prophets, sometimes their messages, that yet yeah, the spirit of prophecy is encouragement, but prophets many times will, will come and say, hey, we're not going to do that. Nope, we're not going to do that. Stop doing that. Because it's bringing it back into alignment. And so, you know, this message, we start out with these things. There are 18.5 million uh, children in the world without dads, but look at this, 28% of all the households are single parent homes. Like almost 30% of the homes in the United States have one parent in them. And look at this, 80% of those 20 are led by moms. 80% of single parent homes don't have dads in them. So moms are doing all of the work. Listen to me, guys. Listen to me, guys. This is not a beat up on guys because you guys are awesome. This is us to be aware. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy in the last days, it's going to be a terrible, terrible time. And a lot of things are happening. Do you know why? One of the reasons is fatherlessness. Do you know why there are so many effeminate men Oh, Jesus, did he go there? And listen, listen, y'all know, uh, I'm going to put my brother on the spot. My brother's in the house today. He's begun coming to our church. And I used to have carte blanche because I knew none of my family was watching on TV. I knew none of them would be picking up that, uh, you know, uh, mouse scrolling over to ourdestinychurch.com. But now my brother's in the room with me in most of my messages. <laughs> yeah. so, so now, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not just talking about it because me. I'm like, now I got to worry about am I offending him? 
you know, which I don't really care, but I do, I do, I do. But can I just take it a minute? Because some, some of y'all are like, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Pastor Rife, you really gonna go there about the effeminate stuff? I am. And can I tell you why? Because I am one of those. Oh, it's fixing to get real. It's fixing to get real. I am not as effeminate now as I used to be. Dude, I got bullied mercilessly as a child because I was effeminate. You know why I was effeminate? And this is why I just said all that stuff to my brother, uh, about my brother because I'm, ta- I'm not just talking about my family. I'm talking about our family now because I was raised by a wonderful dad who was very much absent as a parent. He's a great provider. I love my daddy. My daddy was my brother's daddy. We don't have this, uh, uh, we don't have the same daddy father biologically, but my daddy was his daddy. My daddy raised him from little boy all the way to adulthood. But my daddy Y'all remember the story that I told y'all, like uh, my mom said, you wait till your dad gets home. And he goes off and he's, he's beating the living daylights out of him. And she's like, oh my God, I got to go in there and I got to, I got to, he's going to kill those kids. She opens the door and my two brothers, he was one of those brothers. They're standing over in the corner screaming, daddy, please don't, no, we're sorry, we're sorry. And my daddy's just beating the daylights out of the bed, just beating the daylights out of the mattress, you know? That, that, he, he was one of those. And because of him, that's the day my mom took over the whippings. All the whippings that I got are your fault. But I was raised by a very domineering mom and a dad who was not present as a parent. As a matter of fact, every time I would ask my dad something, his answer was, go ask your mom. It's no question who was large and in charge in my house. And here we look at like, so who, who was my model? My mom. Who did I spend most of my time with? My mom. And so these, guys, I'm just telling you, boys need men. Hairy, stinky, grimy men to teach them how to be men. You know, like, you, it is not fair. And, I, and I'm not talking to you who are men in the house, but I'm trying to help us see where we are as a society and what has happened. And can I just tell you that like, hey, we can say, well, that's people who don't know Jesus. No, the divorce rate in the world and in the church are, are, I don't know who's higher right now. At times it was the world, but there was a time when the church, uh, there were more Christians. I don't know where it is right now, but it's, it's neck and neck. 
So we can't say, well, that's just people who, who, who don't believe in Jesus. No, no, it's not. And so 80% of single homes, all right, look at this, 85% of children with behavioral disorders have no dad in the home. Look at this, 70% of youth who struggle with any kind of drug or alcohol substance abuse, 70%, there's not a dad in the home. Isn't that scary that we see all of these issues and dad's not in the home? 90% of children, this one blew me away, 90% of children, and this is coming straight out of the 2020 U.S. Census, 90% of children who run away from home do not have a dad in the home. It's crazy. But look at this. Fatherlessness leads to an increase in these four or five things. Incarcerations. Crime is up when there's not a dad around. Substance abuse, when dads are not around. Poverty, these are all things that are increased. But what happens when you put that guy back in the home? Look, look at the change. Here's the good news. Oh, Pastor Rife, thank God, because we were wondering if there was gonna be any. Look at what happens when you put that little guy back in the home. It leads to increased economic prosperity. It leads to a better school performance. Kids do better in school when they have a mom and dad in the house. Look at this, improved social mobility. In other words, in other words, one generation, the next generation is economically better than its uh, predecessors. And then lower crime. And healthier children, healthier in every way, healthier physically, healthier uh, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I want you to look at this. 56% of children with a close relationship with their father will share the same level of spiritual participation. Now, Statistics are those things that it's like, who said that? You know, so that's why I just put the, uh, the, the little part at the bottom, which is where I found the statistic. Because statistics are like, yeah, is that actually true? Well, I don't know if it's actually true or not, but that guy did the research over decades. It's in his book. 56% of children that have a close relationship, father-child relationship, will share the same level of spiritual participation. And so that means like if you were a dad who you, you go to church, you are, are growing in your relationship with the Lord, that there's a 56% chance that you're gonna have a child that is going to go to church, that is gonna love God, that's going to participate in those things. All right, and look at this. The greatest legacy, this is the point I want to drive home to you today. The greatest legacy that a father can leave to his children is the lesson of lordship. It's not, it, it, anybody know what this is? A spoon? No, it's not. This is a razor. This is a shaver. I remember standing at the kitchen, at the uh, bathroom sink, and I, I saw my dad shaving. I mean, I was a little old bitty boy, and he said, "Well, go." I said, "Daddy, I want to, I want to shave. I want to shave." And he said, "Well, go get you a spoon." So I run in the kitchen. I get me a spoon. I come back. I don't know why I got the spoon. 
And he's like, lathered my face up. And this was my shaver. And why was he doing that? <laughs> so I wouldn't cut my nose off. You know? <laughs> but he was teaching me. That's one of the first lessons that I can remember my dad teaching me. Like, listen, your dad's going to teach you how to shave. Your dad's going to teach you, you know, how to tie your shoe, ride your bike, cast a, uh, a net or, uh, you know, cast a line fishing. There, he's going to teach you a lot of things, how to hit your first ball off the tee, those kinds of things. There's lots of lessons, but there are some lessons there's some lessons my dad didn't teach me. Like my dad did not teach me how to pick up a girl on the first date. Like, don't you think that's pretty important? I pull up to my wife's house. She is my girlfriend there. I, then I pull up to my wife's house and y'all probably heard me say this. Oh yes, I did. I pulled up. I'm like, beep, beep. <laughs> I'm like, like, come on. You know, what is taking her so long, man? She's eating into our, into our time. And I'm like, bump, 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 bump. You know, all the while Shay's dad is, is, is inside saying, you open that door and you're dead. And I'm like, finally, I go inside. And when she comes out, I go inside, I get her, I sit down. This is my first date. Like, I, I didn't need to meet them. I went to church with them. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, that's Mr. and Miss Sibley. I know them already. I don't have to go in and meet them. Good grief, they know who I am. But I go in and we go through all of the what time to be home, what to do, what not to do, you know, all that. And then when we get out, Shay's like, I cannot believe you honked the horn for me to come outside. And I'm like, what? That's what you do when you want somebody to come out and meet you at the car. Honk, honk. Come on, let's rock and roll. She's like, not on a first date, you idiot. <laughs> like, I'm like, well, well, we I was absent that day in dad's, you know, first date class. There were some things that my parents did not teach me about. There were some things that my parents did teach me about. But the most important lesson that my mama and daddy taught me was when they drug me into that church that day that I started talking to you about at the beginning of service. I didn't, I didn't know Jesus, didn't want to know Jesus. Y'all know Jesus. Well, if we know Jesus, you are kids, so you're going to have to go hear about him too. And I'm so thankful that they did. I lied. I did everything I could to not have to go week after week after week. And finally, I just gave in. I'm like, it's, just go, just go. But somewhere in there, I fell in love with Jesus. Somewhere in there, Holy Spirit got a hold of me and I gave my life to him. And then I watched my parents as they made him Lord of our house. How do you know he's Lord of your house? Well, there's a lot of different ways. You know, but one way is you stop acting certain ways. And my parents weren't horrible parents, don't get me wrong. But they were social drinkers and we had like some really rambunctious uh, friends and times at our house, you know. And sometimes we'd go to their house and sometimes they'd go to come to our house. And I mean, it was nothing for me as a kid at five, six years old to walk up thinking, you know, you know, your kid wants a drink out of the dad, out of dad's cup or whatever. 
It was nothing for me at that young of an age to walk up to the table. And it looks like Coke. But it's Coke and Seagram's, seven. Or it's Coke and something else, some kind of cognac or something. And at five, six years old, I would get a mouthful of that. And, oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. And I watched my parents, when God became Lord of their life, come home and pour out every bottle of liquor that we had in the house. And they said, you know, there's some things that we're going to begin to do differently in our house because we are living a different life now. So I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 24. And while you're turning there, I just want to uh, share with you that Joshua is, is the young leader. He's the one who succeeded Moses. Joshua is getting ready to bring the children of Israel, God's people, into this holy place, this place where the promised land that, that he has promised them to have. They have been in, a, uh, in Egyptian captivity all these years. While they were in captivity, they took on pagan wives. While they were in Egyptian captivity, they took on uh, theological, uh, cultural beliefs that had perverted and watered down their, their spiritual beliefs of Judaism. And so you got this mixture going on in, in the Jewish culture, but now God delivered them from all of that, and they're fixing to go. Just imagine yourself, man. God has blessed you with like 150 acres of pristine land, you know, just this, this where you can start over new. And so, do you want to take all the junk into, you know, this new place? Or would you rather just have all new? And that's, what, that's really kind of what it boils down to with Joshua right here. And in Joshua chapter 24, he's saying to all of the people of Israel, he's saying these things. He said, verse 14, chapter 24, he says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Fear the Lord and serve. Fear and serve. Two things. Fear doesn't mean like, ooh, I'm scared of God, but fear, a, rev a reverence of him. Fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away, I w before I go further, when you read scripture, you should pay attention to words that, repeat, re uh, that appear repeatedly. Because those usually are, are things that the Lord is wanting to highlight. Pay attention to how many times we hear the word fear or serve. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt. Serve, that's the second time, the Lord alone. Serve the Lord alone. Serve the Lord alone. That's what lordship is. When you serve God alone, like he's the one I serve. I don't serve my job. Serve the Lord alone. Like I, I typically tell young people, and I know some of y'all parents do not tell them this. Why? Because I've seen, I've seen young parents disappear. Or sorry, I've seen young people disappear when they get jobs. When they, when they get old enough to get a job, they disappear from church. They don't show up on Sunday morning. They don't show up at youth group. Why? Because they're working. 
You know what you're teaching your children when you allow that to happen? Hmm? Work is more important. Worship your work. Worship your work. My parents taught me it doesn't matter where you work. God comes first. So guess, guess what? Whenever I went off to college and I had to get a job, uh, I went in and I, one of the very first things I told them, I cannot work Sundays and I cannot work Wednesday nights. I can work Wednesdays, but I cannot work Wednesday nights. Um, I cannot work Sundays. And they said, well, if you work here, you will have to work Sunday. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not the person for y'all. I had an interview. I became very good friends with these people later because I worked there for four years. All right. But I literally said, well, this is not the job for me. And I thank you for your time. I got up, shook their hands, uh, uh, Miss Bobby Steele and Linda were the two ladies that uh, I cannot remember Linda's name, but last name. These two ladies, I said goodbye to them, and evidently I was very impressive in the interview because when I left, they told me, What can we do to be able to get him to work here and not work Sundays? Where can we find him a job? And so they found me a job in their visual aids department, in their visuals department, and they called me back and they offered me a job. And they said, um, well, would you be willing to work a Sunday every now and then? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, that's reasonable. And they said, it might be once a month, once every other month. And I said, yes. Guess what? In my four years there, the number of Sundays that I had to work were probably three in four years. Why am I saying that? Because, like, he's Lord of our home. He's Lord of my job. He's Lord of everything. I don't serve my job. My job, I'm there to serve the Lord at the job. I, I don't worship my income. I, I don't. Like, there are people that instead of like, they will, they will move to certain areas of the country based upon the job that they can get. While that's not a terrible thing, who, who do you hear saying, I wonder where God is moving and where God can use me the most and I'm going to move there and then I'm just going to find a job in my field. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's always God on the back burner, but what is God doing? And he says, serve the Lord alone. Serve him alone. Every, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right ways of living, and everything else, everything else will come to you. All right, let me get back on track here in the scripture. It says, verse 15, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today who you will, whom you will serve. He's putting it to him like, man, you, it's time to make your mind up. That's, that's what he's trying to say here. Dude, it's time to make our mind up. Like, do we serve our travel softball team or do we serve the Lord? Oh, Jesus. Some of y'all ought to be going, because mm, it just hits you right there. You know, not, maybe not y'all in this house, but somebody... He says, today's the day, guys, to choose whom you will serve. Would you prefer the God of your ancestors that, ser that, uh, 
that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my house, for as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. There's so many good things about this. He's saying, look, you got to make your mind up. I can't make your mind up for you. I wish I could. The world I feel like would be a much better place if I made the decisions for everybody. Really not. But I can't make your mind up for you. I can't make your decisions up. But what what, uh, Joshua is saying here, it's like, man, come on. It is time. We have played these games too many times where we're back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And he's like, We need to come to a time in our life. And I'm telling you, I remember my time. I remember the day that I made the decision. I was about 16 years old, very fresh and new in my faith. And I said, Lord, I will serve you the rest of my life. God, you will be number one for me the rest of my life. Well, uh, making him number one for me looks like this. It looks like I became a pastor and I became, you know, a minister. It may not look like that for you. It may look totally, as a matter of fact, for most of you in this room, it will look different for you. But I remember the day, 16 years of age, that I said, God, I'm living for you and I'm never turning back. See, up until that point, I was in, I was out, I was in, I was out. I was sleeping with girls and then I'd go to church and get holy. I was going out doing things. i come back to church and get holy. What was I doing? I was worshiping the God of the Amorites over here. And then I come over here and worship Yahweh over here. And then I'm uh, over here worshiping the God of the Amalekites one uh, weekend. And I'm over here and I was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And one day I heard that spirit of Joshua, that whole, that, that mindset come to me and say, make your mind up. What are you going to do? You just out here prostituting yourself spiritually, you're all over the place, literally and spiritually for me. You're all over the place. Make your mind up. And at 16 years of age, I'm telling you, I made my mind up. I'll serve the Lord and I will never forsake him. I will never turn my back on him. I will follow him all the days of my life. I will raise my kids in a godly home. I will raise my kids in a home that, that God will be the Lord of my home. Is my home perfect? Absolutely not. It's not even perfect today. Why? Because humans live in it. But I can tell you what. Jesus is the Lord of my home. Jesus is the Lord of my house. I can tell you, we don't have a different way of living at at my address where I live than, than I live in front of you publicly. The people that live at that address are the same people you see. You know, if you're the same person all the time, you don't ever have to remember what version to be. You know what I'm saying? Like, just be the same person. If they like you, they great. If they don't like you, great. You don't have to remember like, now, how am I supposed to act around this person so that they'll like me? No, you be the best version of you in Christ that you can be. And if they don't like it, man, it's their problem. Let them get over it. Listen, I'm not saying, you know, just go around being jerks uh, with everybody. I'm, I'm saying, you know, let Jesus, let Jesus guide you the best that you can hear and know how 
And other people, just let them deal with it, man. You, you hear what I'm saying? And so Jesus became the Lord of my house before I even had a house. Are you following me? Like I wasn't 22 years old buying my first home. I wasn't 27, you know, getting my first apartment. I wasn't, you know, whatever, whatever. I was 16 years old and I made my decision that day of what my life was going to look like. Part of my life looked like getting rid of my past. It looked like me saying goodbye to some of the gods my parents served. I remember, you know, I had uh, two brothers that were alcoholics. I had a grandmother that was an alcoholic. Uh, I had an uncle who died in our living room floor at my house of cirrhosis of the liver as an alcoholic. One of my brothers died homeless in Texas from a ruptured um, um, liver. Homeless. We didn't even know he died except some freak circumstance that one of his former employers read about him in the paper and she knew that he had worked for her and called his first or next of kin. That's how we found out. If she had not seen that, we may not have even known that our brother was dead. I decided at 16 years of age... I will not continue the curse of alcoholism in my family. We are not going to worship that God. We're not going to worship that God. I made a decision. There were others that I said, we are not going to worship that God in my house because he's going to be the Lord of my house. And I want you to understand there, there's something right here. You know, notice the word serve. Serve always implies work. Think about it. When you serve, you work. Listen to me now. When you serve, there's some work that goes into that. Some of you were serving today on one of our teams, and there were certain tasks. There was some work that went into that. But you can also work without serving. Y'all know, you met them. You met them at McDonald's. You met them at Walmart. You met them at different places. Can I help you? <laughs> they working. They're not serving. <laughs> you know, what are, what are they there for? They're there for the check. They are there for the check. Man, I was at Home Depot the other day, and I walked in that place, and I'm like, God, I need somebody to help me. I'm just lost. And I, you know, I'm walking around. I can't find anybody. Cannot find anybody. I'm walking around, I'm, and I, oh, I see an orange shirt. Mm. But he's 300 miles away. So I know what I'm fixing to ask him is not even in his repertoire of Home Depot stuff knowledge but he got that green shirt on actually it's green for us it's orange for them that's why it's important that you wear those green shirts so people can scope you out man I trot over to the lawn and garden department and I'm like sir 
I know you probably don't even know the answer to this, but I need one of these little hooks that I can screw onto my gate. And I'm telling him about it. I'm like, I've looked all over the gate door department and everything. And this is what he said. He said, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll find out. He put down his project and he walked 800 miles back across the store in another department, helped me find, that guy is a servant. That guy was there not just for the paycheck, he was there for me. And so anytime you see the word serve, there's always a degree of work that, goes invo- that, that is involved. And so Joshua is saying, he said, we have to choose who we're going to serve, who we're going to work for. You know what's happening in this fatherlessness epidemic? I saw it before I ever knew. I saw it. In my family, I saw it with my uh, youngest sister. I saw it, and I heard my mom say it all the time. I just want y'all to have it better than I had it. You ever heard that? I just don't want my kids to work as hard as I had to. I just want my kids to have a better life. Well, you know what? What you, you, you exponentially amplify that over a few generations, and you know what you get? Snowflakes. You, you know the political term snowflakes? They're so delicate. How did we get a nation of snowflakes? And I don't mean that derogatorily, even though it is. I'm just using, that's the term that's out there. How did we get so many? How, how did they begin to get to this place of entitlement? Because fathers or lack thereof made it to where I don't want you to have to work as hard as I did. I don't want you to have to. Listen, Shay and I, I can talk about us and especially her because she's not here. (laughs) You know I'd say this if she were here. We were not on the same page when it came to certain things with our kids. And I... I regret that I was not man enough to just uh, say, woman! I'm like, it, it, it just wasn't worth the fight. Y'all, come on, man. Help me out here, bro. Y'all, y'all know, y'all know, sometimes it's like, oh, God. I but we weren't on the same page. And... Uh, I'll try to be careful with the illustrations because I know... Because I know some of y'all's lives and, uh, and I know certain things have gone on in your families recently uh, that I don't want you to think I'm trying to take a pot shot at you because I swear that is not who I am. Shay and I were not on the same page all the way from Christmas. Like, dude, we gave our kids more Christmas than four families needed. It was ungodly. And we did that for years until I finally did. Holy Spirit just convicted me so badly of it. And I finally just went in and said, God, I I sat down. I said, you got to sit down. And mama-in-law, you got to sit down too. Because the the two of them, they were exponential. I'm like, 
y'all, like I, I sat them down and I said, I truly feel like every Christmas we are sinning. Overindulgence. I'm like, just, and, and you know, I'm like, how would you like to be that guy the night before Christmas when everything is laid out? I mean, you got to kind of walk through the living room like this because every inch of the floor is covered with Christmas. And I said, guys, they ain't even going to play with that. I can tell you they ain't going to play with that. That for five minutes, that for two days. This junk we're going to be selling in a year in a yard sale. And I said, like, this is not godly. It is not the way that we should do things. But what did they want? What they were doing, they were, they were living life out of their trauma. They were living life out of, they didn't have it growing up. And so we want to give our kids all the things. They were living vicariously through their, their kids. And I'm like, what we should do, we should scale things back. We should give them one, two, three, three gifts maybe, you know, that are really good gifts. Like we gave you a computer. It costs $1,500. You know, that's more than some people's car. Like, you know, you, you scale it back, but you appreciate it. And like, we're not teaching our kids how to give. They're just getting. So how did we get this? Because we raised generations of kids that we didn't want them to work as hard as we did. Guys, there's nothing wrong with work. It is what he created us to do. My mom and daddy, my first car, oh, mm, I know I know somebody that just got a new car. Uh, I'm not even going to look over this way. I'm not going to look over that way. But my mama and daddy, I'm not saying you got to do it like I did, bro. My mama and daddy, they went and got me a new car. You know what they did? They gave me the payment book. <laughs> I was not laughing. You know how much my, my car payment was? I think it's like right at 100 bucks. They paid for all the insurance. They paid for all the upkeep, but they gave me the payment book. And I paid that car off. There's nothing wrong with that. It taught me how to handle money. It taught me how to make payments. It taught me what happens if you're ever late with the payment, you know, which I was never late on that car. But it taught me responsibility. We didn't do that with our kids. Shay and I were not on the same page when it came to that. We just gave our kids cars. Just gave them cars. I don't think I ever saw Savannah wash the car we gave her. I gave her two cars. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, but you cannot, there's something about serving. There's something about working for it that God wants us to work. As Lord over your home, there needs to be some work involved, guys. I know that people today have this like, hey, give it to me, dad. Give it to me, mom. Teach them how to work for it. Teach them how to work for it. Now, one thing we were uh, on as parents, we 
you know, we didn't just dish out uh, money. We, they, they had chores that they had to do. But teaching them how to work for what God has given them. I want you to say this with me. The greatest legacy a father can leave his children is the lesson of lordship. Lordship. Is he lord over your home? Stephen, would you come? Is he lord over your house? Pastor Rife, how do I make him lord over my house? I'm going to tell you how in just a second. But I want to share this with you. A few months ago, I was preaching a series called For the Love of God, and it was all about the love of God. And part of that was Jesus loves children. Jesus loves this next generation. Jesus loves this generation of snowflakes. I'm I'm not saying that to be funny. Like, I'm saying, you know, there's there's this ideology out there that, you know, this generation of millennials, like, you know, millennial... Whoever puts the figures out those terms, millennial is all, almost like a slur now. It's like, you look, you look at them, millennial. You know, shrug your shoulders and it's like, yeah, millennial. Jesus loves millennials. Jesus loves the snowflakes. He loves this next generation. As a matter of fact, he sees that generation as the one who is, he's going to raise up to be these last day warriors that's going to stand up for him. But children and youth do not get raised up without spiritual, biological fathers. And I asked you guys, I'm like, you know, I want to know cumulatively, like in other words, how many years I wonder, because I spent this many years as a youth pastor, this many years as a children's pastor, this many years as a mentor, and, you know, all the different roles that I had, this many years as a school teacher, this many years as, like, I wonder how many years you have. Now, everybody in our church didn't do this, so I know we don't have uh, all of the information, but it started pouring in, and I started getting uh, people saying that, you know, I had this many years as a coach, or a mentor, a youth and kids ministry, or as an advocacy for juveniles, or a juvenile officer, or, you know, hey, I was a uh, an aunt who raised my sister who passed away's kids, you know, all these different uh, different roles that we had, and I said, well, how many years did you do that? And the people that turned it in, there were 833 years of cumulative ministry to children and youth. Now, I know, like, if everybody in our church, that would be well over 2,000 years. I know. Glenna uh, put her on the spot. She said, you know, I started to do that, and I was kind of halfway through. But she said, I have how many years as a parent? All right, so just right there, there's 37 more years that we could add to that. But if everybody, you know, we're talking well into the 2,000 plus years. And what I said is, I want to come back at some point, and this is the point. I want to come back at some point and say, God, we've invested at a minimum 833 cumulative years of our lives into the development, into the encouragement, into uh, the formation of young people. And the scripture talks about where you sow, you'll get a reaping. 
Like, so we've sown into the lives of young people all those years that you see on the screen. And so it's like, okay, God, now where's the reaping? Because it's time for us to reap what we've sown. In this last days, it's time for us to reap what we've sown. And I'm just going to be flat out honest with you that as I'm looking at this, I'm going, man, it just doesn't seem possible. There's, so there, there's this opposition that I'm feeling in the spirit realm that manifests in the natural realm that it's like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, that's just not going to happen. Look around, look around, look around, look around right now and look around, you know, figuratively in in the world. That's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. There's too much momentum going in the other direction. And, And you know what I say to those thoughts? The scripture says, take them captive. Every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, Joel 2, 28 and 29, you know, That in the last days, he will pour his spirit out. That young men, young men will have vision and old men will have dreams. He will pour his spirit out on all flesh. Like that, that's what the standard is, the word is. But that voice up here is saying, not gonna happen. That is not gonna happen. And so we take that captive and subvert it to the word of God. And we say, we believe this word in spirit and in truth. So there's 833 years that I want to call on in addition to whatever you have if you didn't fill that out and say, God, we have these years of investment and God, now we are calling on you to begin to unleash in the supernatural and the spiritual realm a reaping of what we've sown. I'm believing it. I believe it. The voice is loud. I hear it every day. But I'm believing that God is going to do something amazing in these last days. I truly believe it. I truly believe these last five years have been, uh, you know, maybe a, a little longer, have been a time where the enemy has fought this particular church. I'm not talking about the other churches, and believe me, those churches, I speak to many, many pastors, and they have their own. But about this church, I truly believe in these last several years, the enemy has sought to destroy the prophetic anointing on this church, on this church. I mean, we've got to go. I mean, I I realize I've preached a long time. We've got to go, but I could, I could go into prophetic dream after prophetic dream after prophetic dream. You remember that, that dream that I had? I'm not going to tell you about it, but you remember that dream that I had, that the enemy, I woke up and there's just trying to stop the prophetic voice. That's, that's what has been happening. And it is time, the Lord is saying, the latter is greater than the former. The latter is greater than the former. Good days are ahead. Don't pay attention to all the news and all that junk. That, that's going to happen too. Bad days are ahead, but good days 
are ahead. Good things are ahead. Good things are in store. This is real easy, as I say. Pastor Rife, how do I apply this word? It's real easy. It's real easy. This is not an exhaustive list, and I don't have, they're so easy, I don't have to go into detail on them. Number one, attend church regularly. Come to church, folks. Serve with your family. Some of y'all are doing that today. Serve with your family. Don't let them serve in kids' church, and then you come and do something. Serve. Give generously and then teach them to give. When they start a job, even with their allowance, you should be teaching those kids to give generously. One day, you as a tither will not be here anymore and they need to be tithers. One day, you as a giver will not be here and they need to be givers. They need to not only see you give, but they need to know why we do it. Give generously, pray with your family. You have to sit down and pray and let them see you pray for things, not just for needs. Not just, well, we need a, we need a new car for the family or we, we need X, Y, or Z. No, sometimes they just need to see you pray. Pray for other people. Pray for things when you're not looking for anything. Let them see you worship. Worship with your family. Like, Coming to church is not the only time that people should see. When he's Lord of your house, they will see worship happening in your house. They will see it. My kids know every trip we go on, somebody's got to stay awake with me while I'm driving. Why? Because I'll be so far deep into the Holy Ghost, I'll be crying, running off the road, you know, all kinds of things because, you know... They see me worship because I'll just be in my own little world with my little earbuds. And they're like, what's going on? Why is daddy going off the road? And it's like, oh, he over there in the Holy Ghost. Let me drive, you know. Daddy, pull off, you know. Worship with your family. Study the scripture with your family. Play Christian music in your home. Kids need to hear something besides your favorite rap music or your favorite country music artist or whatever. Like they need to hear worship happening in your home. So what's your house look like? Does it look like a place where God undeniably is the Lord here? Amen.